he did something that sounds to me all right. He opened the door for a lot of people, uh, especially me. Welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Riding on my buddy seat, as always, is the international man of mystery himself, Jason Brewer. Hello, friends. This is Jim Nance. (laughs) And uh, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I definitely did. Got to uh, hang with the fam and watch some football and eat some food. How about you, Jason? I did the same thing fam hang out i watched a little bit of i watched my cowboys get beat which was a bummer mm, bummer and yep. then and i ate some food and i saw frozen 2 with my kid Ooh, i haven't seen it yet man it's really good cool. and and it's cool because casey musgraves and weezer are on the soundtrack so <laughs> yeah i just watched um casey musgraves christmas special which the music's really cool. The skits are kind of cringy, but I enjoyed it for the music. She's good. I'm going to ch- I'm gonna check it out soon. It's on the list. Your kid will enjoy it, I think. It's a little more family-friendly. Yeah, I'm going to... Yeah, she's going to dig it. We're going to watch it. <clears throat> but, yeah, um, hope everybody's gearing up for a jolly holiday season. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, we have a jam-packed show today with voicemails and emails and a nice little sit-down with a sweet bud, and then we're finally wrapping up the Pet Sounds album discussion. But first, let's celebrate the news. Well, like I said, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And our friend George Faulkner continues to sidestep his way through the catalog of Murray Wilson with this new release, Murray Christmas. He's been on a mission to unearth and record some of Murray Wilson's compositions, uh, most of them which have never been recorded. And um, this new release is available now wherever you listen to music. It's really fun. George sent me some 45s. And um, if you want one, then um, you should head over to iTunes Podcast, leave us a review. And if you write me and let me know that you did, I'll send you one of these 45s. Whoa. I love to see the children laughing on a Merry Christmas Day. Even Christmas lights are laughing. Many, many hearts are gay. Sail on podcast at gmail.com. I sent out a bunch of t shirts to everyone who reviewed the podcast last month thank you very much i'll try and keep doing giveaways as i can if i can get a hold of some stuff that you guys might like um the beach boys announced some tour dates for next year so mike love and bruce johnston and the crew are going to be doing a bunch of dates between february and july so check that out at the beach boys website you don't say um some not 
so happy, but somewhat happy news uh, from longtime Beach Boys sideman Jeff Foskett. He was diagnosed with anaplastic thyroid cancer during 2018, and um, surgeries and treatments robbed him of one of his vocal cords. We had heard some rumblings of this, but we now have official confirmation. Jeff has released a final album called Voices, which features some Beach Boys classics, as well as some tracks by Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, Buddy Holly, and others. What good is the Jeff says, God gave me such a beautiful voice, and I really did use it to honor him and to sing my best at every single performance. It's killed me to walk off some of those recent performances knowing I just didn't sound very good. So when I listen back to these songs I cut before my voice really went downhill, it's like, wow, I wish I could do that again. Our thoughts and prayers are with Jeff, of course. What a talent. What a voice. He says he may still perform as a guitarist from time to time so he's not closing that door completely but best wishes to him and his family i know jason is friends with him and um has always been a really great guy to anyone that's fans and friends of the beach boys and um he'll always be part of that family so check out the new record yep jeff is an amazing guy and a super talent and I think he's left a really great legacy, especially for Beach Boys fans. You know, if you've seen him with Brian, you've seen him with Mike, you saw him with the guys back in the 80s, you know. Um, he's someone who helped keep this music out there. So, you know, I really encourage everyone to go support his new record. Find his Facebook music page and tell him how much you think he's amazing and support him. And tell him that the Salon guys sent you and that they were thinking of him and praying for him. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right, so let's get into some voicemails. First one is from Ryan. Hey guys, this is Ryan in Kansas City. Just calling to deliver a stream of consciousness on the Beach Boys and a few things in your podcast from Pet Sound. I called back a few months ago and just figured... You are the two perfect guys to just rhapsodize about the Beach Boys. So, um, listening to your podcast on Pet Sounds, the most recent one, I gotta really respectfully disagree that I'm waiting for the day is the worst song on Pet Sounds. Now, is it better than here today? That one, I think they're pretty tied. I mean, they both really deliver different personalities of the band there, and I think you guys are getting at that. I mean, the Waiting for the Day, that's such a Brian song, you know? I know Mike contributed parts to it, you know, and you guys know that. But, you know, just this kind of standoffish, unrequited love, you know, and just this patience, you know? I can imagine in his life, and I think a lot of us can imagine that. You know, you like them from afar, they're always with the wrong guys, you know? 
you're just always waiting for that day. I, I definitely remember when I was getting into that sound in college, uh, there was this girl named Lisa, and she was just this very vibrant, beautiful woman. But, you know, I kept waiting for the day because uh, she had a previous relationship that, you know, kind of, I guess, started her. And uh, waiting for the day really, you know, hit me when I heard that song, you know. And also, that Baroque pop section at the end, you know what I'm talking about, where it transitions, where it was just the strings. I think that might be the quintessential, like, Baroque pop sound ever. I mean, feel free to disagree, but it's an amazing track, and uh, you know that. What I do like was here today, because that, that's a song, kind of like with That's Not Me, where Mike really makes those lyrics his, even though he didn't write them. You can really feel that, you know, and that's one of the good things that Mike did for Pet Sounds. A lot of people, and I understand it, are going to just always hate Mike, but, you know, the way he delivers those songs, this it's so confident, you know, even though here today is such a depressing song, you know, just this idea that every time you start a relationship, it crashes. But, you know, it's just maybe he's delivering like a warning, you know, to uh, the listener, like, hey, guys, I'm a strong guy. But, you know, even that doesn't mean I'm immune to things sizzling out, you know. Uh, you're talking about groups that sounded like the Beach Boys, and I'd like to just give a few um, ones that I really like just discovered the Pin Friend Club, which is a Japanese group, and if you just look at the album art, the aesthetics, they're totally 1960s Beach Boys, uh, West Coast, you know, music. They do some amazing covers. They did an amazing cover of uh, Sherry, She Needs Me, but it combined uh, all parts of that song, because that's, you know, you guys know it's probably been around for like 50 years, Brian kept adding stuff to it, and they did a really great, just sonic, everything of it, just amazing. Um, another group, the Pearl Fishers, uh, Up With The Larks, that's a really good song. Uh, you can definitely uh, feel the influence there. And they also did a cover of um, Go Away Boy on the uh, Caroline Now, that compilation. And then uh, lastly, I'm just going to give some respect to the Explorers Club. Uh, Hold Me Tight is an amazing track, as is uh, Summer Days and Summer Nights. So keep sailing on. Talk to you guys later. Thank you for the voicemail, Ryan. And I hope things worked out with Lisa. Um, I, I dig what you're saying with the Baroque pop thing. You know, I think that Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper kind of really kicked off that Baroque pop thing, like the Left Bank. And the Zombies had some of that vibe, too. So, But I can see what you're saying, because if you think about all those bands, kind of the genesis of really chasing this classical influence in the music came between like Revolver and Pet Sounds. So I could see, you know, where you're going with that. That's that's a good ear. Uh, and nice, I've heard of these Pen Friend Club guys you mentioned, and I definitely have heard of the Pearl Fishers. I know they're like a, I think they're from either Ireland or the UK. So whoever knows is going to get mad at me that I got it wrong. But um, I know they're from over there and they've done a lot of Brian associated stuff and a lot of cool 60s type covers. And they're a cool kind of, you know, Wyatt, they're kind of like a little bit of a High Llamas thing. Not quite as adventurous, but, you know, in the, sa- in the same ballpark. And, and thank you for the kind words with uh, Hold Me Tight um, and, the, and the other tune from Grand Hotel you mentioned. I was really trying to do like a, a Pet Sounds kind of backing track on that Hold Me Tight. So, yeah, good ear. Appreciate the kind words. And go check out all the bands he was talking about because they're all really good. Yeah, I have not heard... The Pearl Fishers, but um, I do know about Pen Friend Club because I was in Japan about 10 years ago 
and uh, made some friends and they told me about this band and uh, they are super cool they do a lot of Beach Boys covers and um, I really dig the sound they get and it's pretty fun because they also kind of um, mess up the words a lot because they don't speak English so that's always kind of fun and, and charming to me Thank you very much, Ryan. And uh, I knew I was going to get some 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 backlash on saying that <laughs> I'm waiting for the day was the worst song on Pet Sounds. But there has to be a worse song on Pet Sounds, and they're all great songs. So no matter what anyone says, somebody else is going to disagree. Hey, hey, Wyatt, it can be least good, okay? It is the least good. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna song. we're gonna hurt less feelings that way. All right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All right, uh, next up is our buddy Bruce Harbour. Hey guys, it's Bruce Harbour again. Just listened to the Waiting for the Day Here Today episode. Again, another really good one. Uh, listen to you guys talk about the I Can't Believe It's on the Beach Boys 2. I wanted to share that my real love kind of peaked after B.J. Thomas's Rock and Roll Lullaby came out in maybe 71. I was familiar with the Beach Boys. I was 14. But when that song came out, and it hits, I think, after the second verse, or into the second verse, and the sound comes in, uh, it just blew me away, and I've been there ever since. Uh, at the time, there were rumors that Brian and some of the other Beach Boys had actually sang on that track, but I don't think that's the case. So, anyway, just wanted to pass that on uh, in case you're uh, looking for material for that second one. And uh, I'm driving to Nashville from Florida via Memphis uh, for Thanksgiving. So, you guys have a great holiday. See you. What's up, Bruce? Thanks for calling in, as always. Um, so yeah, that track that you mentioned, Rock and Roll Lullaby by B.J. Thomas, it actually does include um, backing vocals from The Blossoms, which was obviously a Phil Spector group featuring Darlene Love, and uh, piano from Barry Mann. So there is a little bit of a connection to the Beach Boys, somewhat um, six degrees, but you know. Um, no Beach Boys featured on that recording, but it's a really rad track. And um, more info about I Still Can't Believe It's Not the Beach Boys coming soon. Uh, up next, we got an email from Dave McCallum. He says, Thanks, guys. Really love your podcast. In fact, I look forward to it. I have been a Beach Boys fan since I acquired my first LP at 11 years old, Beach Boys Live in Concert. I find it very refreshing to hear that younger people are still getting into their music. The Beach Boys' music is like fine wine. It gets better with age. I was attracted to their music because they sang about cars and girls. Still my two favorite things next to music. Keep up the great work. Peace, love, and positive vibrations. 
Dave McCallum. P.S. Can't wait to hear your review of my favorite album of all time, Pet Sounds. Well, Dave, I hope you've been listening, man. We spent a couple. <laughs> you got a lot to listen <laughs> we to. We spent a couple minutes on Pet Sounds. This is this came before we did the Pet Sounds episodes, obviously. So I I'm know. sure Dave has listened, but I wanted to give you a shout out, Dave. Thanks for listening, man. And peace and love to you as well, all the way up there in Ontario, Canada. Absolutely. Uh, next up, an email from Paul Phipps. Hey guys, I've been following your podcast as each episode is aired, and I love it. You're both quite good as presenters. I appreciate the humor and knowledge you guys bring to it. And I mean, surf and earth. Come on, guys, do it. Okay, so here we go. My love of the Beach Boys music began in the 1970s when I was a child. My family lived in Sturbridge, Massachusetts during that time, and their music was on the airways fairly often. My earliest impressions were that people seemed happier when their music played, and the songs I was hearing completely validated that. My family moved to California in 1978, and that's when the Beach Boys went from being something I was hearing every now and then to something I was actively pursuing and investigating. I was 11 at the time, and the town we moved to, Scotts Valley, was right next to Santa Cruz. I remember thinking, hey, that's the town mentioned in that Beach Boys song. Santa Cruz back then was awesome. It had just about everything a kid like me could want. An amusement park, the ocean, the beautiful girls on a beach a comic book shop, and several wonderful record stores. One in particular sold both used books and records. It was here I picked up copies of both the Byron Priest and David Leaf Beach Boys books. Needless to say, I also bought many albums there. My first Beach Boys albums were Endless Summer and Spirit of America. This is where the rabbit hole, which is the Beach Boys, opened up and things got curiouser and curiouser. I had a taste of it when I was still in Massachusetts. I remember seeing Brian on TV. It was either his appearance on SNL or the televised concert special in the late 70s. I can't recall which, but I do re recollect my brother pointing out a certain guy and telling me, that's the guy who wrote the songs and sang the high parts. This kind of shocked me and confused me because the guy I was looking at was overweight, scraggly haired, bearded, sort of scary looking dude. It was in California though that I began reading about the band and digging deeper into their catalog and their story. Pet Sounds was a shocker. It was not what I was expecting. I had heard the singles, but Pet Sounds as a whole really stumped me at first. I found it challenging, but every song had sounds that thrilled my ears. The vocals were stunning, the lyrics hit home in ways I couldn't define. It was beautiful, and at that time it was mine and mine alone. This was followed by the albums of the late 60s. It took me a while longer to get to Friends because it was so reviled back then that I just didn't give it a chance. But critical opinion is often very ignorant, and when I finally heard Friends, I realized what I had been missing. Such a sweet album. From then on, it was diminishing returns for me as far as their music goes. I like some of Holland, but I'm not big on it as many people are. The later 70s albums have some great songs, but I haven't been such a big fan of any of them. I have enjoyed Brian's solo stuff as well. Anyway, I will cork my comments here, otherwise I will go on and on. Thank you again for the podcast. Take care. Paul. I think it's pretty great that you finally came around the friends. I can really relate. Paul, because Endless Summer was the first Beach Boys thing I had. I had a, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I had a cassette copy of it from a record that my neighbor gave me. Um, so it's pretty awesome. I know that's a landing point for a lot of fans, but I tell you, when I really got into Friends too, is when I really had a that, that opened the door for me to be fully appreciative of the entire catalog. I think I've said that before, but if I haven't, it's definitely the truth. Yeah, 
I, uh, I had a similar experience with friends as well. Um, kind of took me a while to get to that one. But man, thank you for the great email, Paul. And I'm glad you're listening. Glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I recently had a chat with a good buddy of mine named Zach Jones. And I think you guys will enjoy it. Southern California in the early 60s, man, it was a lot of fun. A lot of surfing, drag races, and riding to surf. So wax up your board, and let's hang 10 with the Beach Boys. Hey guys, we're here today with a very special guest, uh, LA-based musician, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, performer, and just an overall prince of a fellow. This is Zach Jones. Hey, everybody. How's it going? What's up, Zach? It's been a minute since I've talked to you. It has been a minute. What's been going on with you? Uh, you know, more of the same. Lots of uh, uh, playing music and trying to figure out how to uh how to keep things going in that regard so I've, i originally came into contact with you through a mutual friend kurt baker who is also from the state of maine and um he kind of put me onto your music which really blew me away when i first heard it i think the first record that i heard of yours was called things were better really a nice throwback record to um, kind of the 60s R&B Motown soul sounds that I think a lot of people have tried to emulate, but nobody's really captured as well as you did on that record. I think since since your record came out, there's a there's been a ton of artists that have done it. <laughs> there have, and I think uh, most of the artists that have done it have been more successful commercially <laughs> than, yeah. than I ever was. Well, I mean, regardless <laughs> of that, I yeah. mean, like, there's something to say, because I remember when you did it, but, and it's not like there wasn't anybody doing it, but when you yeah. did it, it was very fresh. Exactly. I didn't feel like I was chasing a trend at the time. I was just chasing a sound that I wanted to get, and it was just... 
yeah, it seems like a weird coincidence that afterwards everybody else was doing it. I'd like to pretend that they're they're copying me, but <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's, it's a pretty timeless sound that uh, I guess a lot of other people were after as well. Yeah, so I was really I was really into that, and then um, you know coming back around, like I think we had a couple of discussions about you know influences and and where we both kind of came from musically, and we definitely grew up in different environments, different places, but we kind of came. Uh, to our love for, you know, 60s pop music and, and harmony music in a very similar way. You want to talk a little bit about how you discovered that style of music and how you became such a big fan of it? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I guess it started like my mom just playing the radio around the house when I was a kid. And, and I think that she just had the radio on just to have music playing while she was, you know, doing stuff. Um, and I don't know if I was paying as close attention to it back then. I think it was just sort of like you know, soaking in while it was playing. Because uh, it wasn't really until uh, I was about, I guess, 12, uh, which is when I, like, really discovered the Beatles. Like, I had heard the Beatles before, obviously. Um, but that was the first time. I remember we bought, uh, my parents bought a new uh, record player. Um, and it was the first time we'd had a record player in the house since, like, you know, way back in the day when we had, when records were all we listened to. Um, but it was like at that age, like just flipping through her records and being like, okay, I recognize this. I'm going to put this on. And I remember finding Sergeant Pepper and, uh, putting that on. And, and that was kind of it for me after I was like, I got to play music now. <laughs> um, and I did definitely spent a lot of years just obsessing over the Beatles. I guess I'm still obsessing over the Beatles. Um, but you know, there was a couple of years there where it was like, that was all I listened to was the Beatles and Beatles related stuff. Um, but finally when I kind of broke through the other side being like, okay, there is more music out there. Um, I just def gravitated toward more music from that era. Um, and that's still pretty much where my heart lies is, is all music from the sixties and seventies. Uh, and you grew up in York, Maine, right? York, Maine. So right. we have a we have a really interesting mutual acquaintance. Um, totally, this weird small world that we live in. Um, because the guy who does the music for our show, Will Curley, is from York, Maine too. And I didn't know this until this past oh, week. Okay. That, yeah, that is an interesting connection. Uh, yeah, because I, I listened to, to your last episode. <laughs> uh, it was yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, it was nice to hear hear my name mentioned. Right. And, so because uh, there because there's yeah. another guy named Sean Fletcher who's called yeah. in a couple times. Who I didn't I knew he was from Maine, and then he was like he left a voicemail talking about bull moose, and I was like, oh, that's really fun. And then he was like, I'm here, you know, and he's like, and I realized that he was from York Beach. And I was like, my goodness, like all these people are coming up from, from <laughs> this small little area in Maine. And like, we'll see, like Will Curley, he lives out in uh, Colorado now. And I just oh, okay. never made the connection. You know, I just didn't know that he was from. Yeah. From yeah. I way, think, so. uh, yeah. Will, I think he's a little younger than me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he would have been probably more my younger brother's age. But yeah. And then Sean and I connected after that episode actually he reached out to me on facebook oh wow uh, so i we had never met in person yeah. before but uh yeah we we're just like hey we know a bunch of the same people and uh that's funny both both fans of this uh, beach boys podcast <laughs> that's so funny yeah man <laughs> you guys are like the york beach boys <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> i'm sorry um, that's all right it was but, right there you uh, had to take it like i said you made uh some solo records um the the one that i got into things were better and then um, the one that really like turned me on was, uh, the days, which you made in 2013, I believe. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, which was more, um, sixties pop 
some zombies influences and the birds and some Laurel Canyon influences on there and I really enjoyed that record. Oh, thank you. When did you move to LA? You moved to LA soon after that, right? I mean, it was probably... Uh, yeah, actually, I finished the days while I was living in LA. It's interesting because okay, most right. of those songs uh, I wrote in LA. Gotcha. Um, so right before I moved to LA, I uh, just came for a month and hung out. A friend of mine let me crash his place, Mike Hersey, um, let me cl- crash on his couch. And, uh, you know, he worked every day. And so I would sleep until 10 or 11, get up, write a song, and then go walk around town and be like, do I want to move here or not? So a lot of those songs that uh, I wrote for the album were, yeah, during that time period where I was like, do I want to live in L.A.? Yeah, so a lot of California influence, I think, in that record because it coincided with my move to L.A. Really great record. You, you've you since been living in L.A. and been making music, but you haven't released a lot of it. Am I right about that? It's been, I think, almost five years since I've released anything. So that's really what led to the new single. It was just I kind of got anxious, and I had a song that was... Uh, timely for the actual time of the year it was right um and i just kind of jumped on top of that i was like i'm gonna just go ahead and put this song out now well let's check out the new single right now i wanted to play this um because it's awesome it's a beautiful song and uh i think our listeners will really dig it this is october's almost over by zach jones she looked at me and said are you You're as young as you feel So many brighter days ahead Well, I must admit I've changed And only I can rearrange All the things on my mental shelf The way I see myself Life is beautiful and strange October's almost over Green leaves, yellow, blue skies, gray A sign of the time So I'd just been working with that melody and those chords, and I came across, I jotted down October's Almost Over. Uh, one of my Facebook friends had written that on Facebook with nothing else. It was just a comment, just October's Almost Over, because it was. It kind of just became this sort of commentary on getting older and the changes that you go through. And uh, and I'm speaking of cliches, I guess, comparing you know the phases of your life to the months of the year. Uh, but it was all just right there, and it didn't feel cliche while I was working on it. Um, so I just rolled with it, and that's how that came together. And now, each day that goes by, I refuse. 
check out Zach's Patreon, patreon.com slash Zach Jones tunes. And um, you'll definitely be getting some more great music from Zach. Um, and uh, I wanted to just touch on some Beach Boys stuff, obviously, because um, <laughs> we're wrapping up our Pet Sounds episodes. And um, I know you're a big fan of that record. Yeah. So it's weird. My, my kind of love affair with the Beach Boys has uh, gone through a bunch of different phases where um, I want to say in probably around 1987 or 88, I got my first cassette Walkman. And uh, I didn't have any tapes, but I loved the the idea that finally I could go listen to music by myself. Um, but all the cassettes I was able to like wrangle together to go listen to belonged to my parents. And one of those was Best of the Beach Boys. So that's kind of where my, my Beach Boys love started. And then, of course, uh, around that same year, Kokomo came out, and I loved that too. <laughs> um, speaking of songs I've had a love-hate-love relationship with... Um, but so then that so that was like phase one of the Beach Boys, and then phase two is I think uh, I was telling you when I became obsessed with the Beatles, when I finally kind of broke through that all I'm listening to is the Beatles phase. I think Pet Sounds was the first thing that I went to, and that was probably largely based on you know I think I'd read the the Paul McCartney quote somewhere that you know God only knows was his his favorite song and had, had Pet Sounds had inspired uh, Sergeant Pepper. Um, so yeah, I ran right to Pet Sounds and. And that definitely blew my mind because all I had prior to that, my memory of the Beach Boys was listening to the the surfing and car songs as a kid. Um, I I had no idea that just yeah these you know huge arrangements and you know beautiful inspiring lyrics. And I was just at the age where some of those lyrics were starting to actually speak to me. Um, so that was yeah that was my my big uh, kind of pet sounds breakthrough. Uh, but then that also was like sort of like the third phase of my Beach Boys love, which wouldn't come until a little bit later, was based on everybody that I knew that was familiar with the Beach Boys. And I guess at this point I'm talking about older people because I didn't really have any people my own age uh, listening to uh, the Beach Boys when I was in high school. Hmm. Um, were telling me that everything post-Pet Sounds, you know, like, was bad. Like, right. there was just this thing where it was like, oh, don't don't bother, don't waste your time with that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't until probably... Uh, I guess like early 2000s, I think right around the time I started playing with, uh, we were originally called Rocktopus, then we became as fast as Patrick Hodgkins, who was going by Ache at the time, um, was also in that band. And he was a huge music collector. And he was the first one that turned me on to like the Smile Bootlegs nice. and the uh, Surf's Up album and stuff like that. So kind of from there. And then we saw when Brian Wilson released Smile, uh, uh, Patrick and I went and saw that tour together, and that was the first time I'd seen the Brian Wilson band. And so seeing Smile Live blew my mind. And obviously the the first set and the encore set were more of the, you know, kind of greatest hit stuff. Um, and so I think that once again reignited my love for them. And that's when I went out and just started buying all of those, the the capital twofers, um, and just filling in the blanks on the rest of my Beach Boys knowledge. Because I think there, there was a window of time between when I discovered Pet Sounds and maybe even afterwards, where I kind of like wrote off the Beach Boys as like, ah, you know, there's no substance. It's all Chuck Berry riffs and surfing lyrics. Right. Um, and then obviously Pet Sounds changed all that, but because people were telling me that <laughs> everything after that was not worth checking out, uh, I just didn't, I was like, oh, they did this one thing that's absolutely great. Uh, and I guess actually another friend turned me on to Friends uh, shortly after that, and maybe that was what the first insight into. Oh wait, there's there's definitely more here. 
um, yeah, now I just I celebrate the whole catalog. Even when it gets really cheesy, I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, I know that we share a love for MIU. And because yep. <laughs> um, I remember you posting about pitter patter at one point on social media <laughs> and I was like, what? Zach Jones likes pitter patter. Like, this is a great thing. Like, this is oh, it's, it's, that still pops into my head every time. It like it doesn't rain very often out <laughs> right. here in L.A., but every time it does, it's like the first thing I think of is pitter patter. <laughs> I, I will never forget that, man. It was like it made me so happy because, you know, it's it's I don't know. It just it's not something that a lot of people, especially in our world, like would would be openly talking about like their love for miu (laughs) but um and it you know it took me a while to get into that stuff too but um it's really fun to 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 kind of see that um because yeah i mean there's some great stuff no matter where you look there's some great songs Mm -hmm. some great production some great singing you know you can take from it um what what you will but um definitely it's interesting when you get to like an album like miu because there's like you know, I think what Hey Little Tomboy, I think, is on that right. one. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you have like a song like that that's just like, whoa, these are like <laughs> grown men singing about a little tomboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you also have a song like My Diane, which is oh, so yeah. like heartbreaking and so oh, like, you know, so deep. Man, I love it's that like, so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's there's like I said, there's you can you can find some wonderful things in, in all these records, even though there's some some terrible things as well. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see what else we want to touch on here. Um, I can't believe I just uh, went through this without bragging about the fact that a year ago I got to go on tour with the Brian Wilson band. I mean, I was hoping that you had mentioned it. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't want to press you, but um, yeah, I mean, what was that like? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, that was, that was amazing. Um, it was uh, so uh, I play with this artist, Ruby Friedman, and uh, I think she shares management with brian wilson i don't know if maybe that's uh i don't know anyway she got the opportunity to uh to open up for brian wilson for the christmas tour and uh i usually you know go back to maine in december and so she called me in kind of like early november and was like hey i got this opportunity it's like it's coming up really quick i know you usually go home in december but like i might i might be opening up for brian wilson would you be into that she's like no big deal if you're not it's cool and i was like are you kidding <laughs> like i'll definitely do that yeah it's <laughs> like i will cancel any plans that i anything i was like anything i've got going on in the world i'll cancel of course to go open up for brian wilson um so yeah that was uh i think the f- yeah we did five dates leading up to the last one was christmas eve eve uh so I got back to LA, uh, Christmas Eve, spent, spent Christmas all by myself. But, uh, leading up to that, I had like the greatest experience of my life. I got to watch, uh, yeah. But, uh, it was interesting cause you know, I, I had read about how his like kind of pre-show routine is to just sit. He has like an armchair that he sits in the wings, you know, stage. He doesn't hang out backstage. He just sits in the wings right, uh, right. the whole time, which meant that he watched our set every night because he was just sitting there in the wings. Mm. And like everybody was really kind of trying to give him his space. Like even his own people were kind of just like letting him do his thing. So I was like, okay, don't, don't bother Brian. But you know, anytime I walked by him, he would go out, he'd be like, Hey, how are you today? You know, like he would uh, initiate, you know, whatever small amount of conversation we had. Right. Right. I would always just be like, um, so yeah, that was really cool. And then, uh, it's also just really surreal. Like, uh, um, it's, it's, well, first of all, it's really sad that in the meantime, we have lost Nikki wonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since that sure. tour. Cause, uh, he and I, uh, hit it off, uh, you know, really, really quickly. 
Um, you know, speaking about guys that love the Beach Boys, I mean, considering how long he was playing with Brian and all that stuff, like he was just as excited to talk about the Beach Boys as you and I are. Wow. You know, but he's like right in the middle of it. Um, and so, yeah, like the, the first night we were out, out on tour and I, I got talking to him just about that whole thing. And he was so happy to like share his experiences like on the 50th anniversary tour and all that, you know, getting to play with both Mikey and Brian. Um, but then like our, you know, our nerdery went beyond the Beach Boys into Star Trek and <laughs> Clint Eastwood movies and stuff like that. So it was like, yeah, any nerdy thing that uh, I'm psyched to talk about with people, like he was right there on board with it. Um, so yeah, that was, it. but I guess the, the part I was gonna say was surreal is that, so one night, uh, you know, we got to ride on the bus with them and they had a couple buses and, uh, you know, Nikki and I were on the same bus and one night we watched the Clint Eastwood movie um, for a few dollars more. And so the next day we were talking about Clint Eastwood movies and Al Jardine just walks up and joins our conversation. I was <laughs> like, this is so weird. I'm like, I'm talking about Clint Eastwood movies with Al Jardine. Wow. And Al's talking about how, uh, you know, he's seen Clint Eastwood at the, at the grocery store and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, this is such a weird thing. And, uh, yeah, I finally did. I, th I think I posted on Facebook, but the last night of the tour, you know, everybody's packing up and getting ready to leave. And the whole time I had been waiting for that moment to ask Al for a photograph together. And I was just like, I can't do it. You know, like, I'm too nervous. Yeah. But fortunately, uh, Riley gear, um, <clears throat> one of the other dudes who was playing with Ruby. Yeah. That night before we left, he, we were like all on the way out and Riley's just like, Hey, Al, Zach wants a picture with you and he's afraid to ask. <laughs> and uh yeah al came over and you know even though they were pretty much like on their way out the door he was like oh yeah sure and he came over and you know chatted and posted for pictures with us so that was really cool it was like the one moment where i got to be like a super fanboy. <laughs> it's like he kind of gave gave permission for it oh man um, so that's so yeah, awesome it was, it was a magical experience for sure yeah thanks for taking the time to do this man um yeah my pleasure i'm, I'm psyched that uh yeah, it's like that we're actually doing it because we have been talking about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and and, uh, and uh, congratulations on, on two years and doing such a good job with yeah, the podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I love having guys on that I've kind of shared this love with for a while because, um, man, that's what, that's what this podcast is all about. That's why I try and include as many stories as possible from people who came into this love for this band in different ways and in different eras and it's always fun to hear about so uh, i think people will really dig it and uh, i think people will really love your music um so everybody go check out zach jones and um thank you again zach for doing this man yeah thanks thanks for having me it's been uh it's been a pleasure all right talk to you soon all right talk to you soon later buddy right. bye-bye october's almost over All right, you can get the full interview with Zach on our Patreon page, which is just www.patreon.com slash on. And shout out to Joe Fiorini and Ellen Lauren for being patrons of the show. We love you. 
All right, so we're getting back into Pet Sounds. We kind of just jumped around and talked about the songs as they were recorded, but there was a lot that happened in the first few months of 1966, so I wanted to fill in the timeline a little bit to give you guys a little bit more perspective because um, unlike most of the other Beach Boys albums up to this point, this album was recorded over a pretty long period of time. Um, from July 1965 through April 1966. Pretty amazing. Um, we talked about them going on tour in Japan in January, of course, while Brian was home working in the studio. He was working on three tracks during that time. Let's go away for a while. Wouldn't it be nice? And you still believe in me. The boys returned on January 30th. And then the first couple weeks of February were spent in the studio. They did, of course, head to San Diego Zoo to shoot some photos that would eventually become the cover of the album. More on that later. The boys without Brian traveled to the Midwest for two shows in Iowa and one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, before heading back for more sessions. Around this time, Brian was at a party at Terry Melcher's house, and it was there that David Crosby introduced him to arranger and session musician Van Dyke Parks. Brian said, this guy's articulate. He'll make a good lyric writer. I wrote lyrics for Brian Wilson. Most of them, when an album was done called Pet Sounds, uh, which readied us for the next record, which uh, still is an unexplained event. I don't understand it. It would have been rad if Crosby and Brian had done something, because that would have been like super weird. They probably did, but they were probably so high that they just forgot about it. Yeah. I know, I know I've heard interviews where Crosby was just so kind of enamored with Brian's harmonies. Because, you know, Crosby's a harmony man, too. Yeah, so. yeah. That would have been just amazing to be a fly on the wall at one of those parties, you know? Um, yeah, Brian, Mark, Vol- Mark Volman from my other favorite band, The Turtles, was probably there. Yeah, Lauren Schwartz and uh, David Anderley. Man, it would have been just super cool. Um, the band also shot a promo video for Sloop John B., in Brian's backyard. Dennis was the cameraman, so if you've seen it, that's why he's not in the video. The band moved to a new management company, and that's when Nick Grillo became their personal manager. They also hired Derek Taylor, who worked for the Beatles and the Birds, to be their publicist. On March 7th, Brian Wilson released his solo single for Caroline No. Sessions were continuing through March, and the band continued to tour. From March 11th, through 19th, they played a handful of shows on the East Coast with the Love and Spoonful. On March 21st, Sloop John B. was released, and it was a big hit. Then on March 28th, Bruce Johnston and Terry Melcher, still on Columbia Records, released a single written by Bruce with lyrics by Mike Love called Don't Run Away. Don't run away. Forget the past, but we're in love and I 
this was really cool because we've talked about this song a couple times before, but um, knowing that it kind of came right in the middle of the Pet Sound sessions explains a lot about the sound of this song. It is super good, and the thing I love about it is the delay on the drums. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's just like tape echo or, or even just room bouncing off the room sound. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Definitely use of the echo chamber. Where, what studio did they cut it out? I'm sure it was Columbia, but I, I don't know who plays Probably on the so, track. Probably so, because they were under they were under contract. To right. And I know Brian liked to record at Columbia some. Too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I really love that track. Bruce's vocals and with Terry are just so good. I'm a big Bruce and Terry singing fan. You can hear them sing harmonies all over Paul Revere and the Raiders and uh, a bunch of other stuff too. They're really awesome. And you probably don't know that's them on those things. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, but the thing I love about that is that delayed out drums, which I kind of think you will hear on Beach Boys things like All I Want to Do later. So I don't know. It's kind of a cool... I imagine it was a new sound. Because it didn't sound like... If you think about it, that doesn't sound like that. sounds like it's later 60s, you know? I mean, nothing really happened with this single, but... Um... I mean, I didn't even find out about it until, you know, I was, I was much more in depth into the Beach Boys music, and and um, I think it was Kurt Baker, my buddy, that sent it to me one day. He's like, "Have you ever listened to Bruce and Terry?" And I was like, "I don't know what Bruce and Terry is." And he was like, "You gotta check out this song called Don't Run Away." And I, like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "This is Bruce Johnston. Wow, this is amazing. It's my favorite Bruce Johnston song. It's great." And Mike Love wrote the lyrics. How cool is that? Um, anyway, in April, the band goes on tour in Texas and Florida with Chad and Jeremy. What a fun tour that was. My favorite. And then back in the studio at Columbia, like we were talking about, they did vocals there for all the tracks that, uh, that were remaining because they had finished all the backing tracks. And the album is mastered at Capitol on April 19th. Here's Beach Boy's friend and road manager, Fred Vale. I was there when Brian mastered. He puts on the first tape, wouldn't it be nice? And it starts playing the first side and it's going through. And I'm thinking how, how great it sounds. And Brian looks over at me and says, well, Fred, what do you think? And I said, Brian, man, whew, great, great record. It's really good. I'm, I like it. I really like it. He said, do you really like it? I said, yeah, I really like it. And then he, then he asked me the, the tell-all question. He said, what do you think the guys will think? Meaning, what do you think the other Beach Boys will think? And I said, you know, I don't know, Brian, but I'm proud of you. It's a great record. I don't know what they think, but I think it's a great record. I think you did a great job. And he says, man, I sure hope they like it. Marilyn Wilson recalled Brian playing her the album. He brought home a copy and uh, they were super pumped about it. They turned down the lights and Brian said, okay, are you ready? And he played it all the way through and they sat and cried. Uh, Marilyn says, we both listened. And after the record finished, he said he was afraid that no one would like it, that it was too intricate. Then it was back on the road for the boys on the East Coast for three weeks, leading up to the release of Pet Sounds on May 16th. It reached 
just number 10 in the U.S., which for the Beach Boys and Capitol was a pretty big disappointment. Uh, it was their first album not to go gold. And while it wasn't a failure, it wasn't a smash hit either. And it was passed over at the Grammy Awards. So I have a little bit of trivia for you, Jason. Do you know who won the both the album and record of the year in 1966? Or was it, was it like Sinatra? It was. Good job. It was Strangers in the Night. Strangers and, in the Night record, um, yeah. A Man and His Music was the album. Uh, can't yeah, argue okay. with that, but the but the Grammys really weren't embracing pop music yet. It wasn't until the next couple years that they would really figure that out. I thought it was an interesting piece of trivia anyway. Um, so the label kind of responded and released the best of the Beach Boys soon after, which kind of squashed Pet Sounds and didn't really give it much of a chance to become a hit. Best of the Beach Boys hit number eight, and then it was certified gold, of course. Brian attended a meeting at Capitol where he had a recorder with pre-recorded answers like yes and no and no comment and can you repeat that because he was being a little moody and wasn't really excited about Capitol Records and the direction they were putting the band into. Um, Nick Vinay from Capitol said Brian was no longer trying to make records. He was trying to torment his father with songs he couldn't relate to and melody structures that he couldn't understand. I thought that was a crazy quote and trying to put my head in, you know, a capital executive's brain at the time um, because you're just expecting these hits to just keep coming from the Beach Boys. You know, they had Sloop John B, which was a pretty big hit. And then this album that came out that was just kind of melancholy and kind of wishy-washy and nobody really knew what to do with it. And, the you know, the cover was kind of bizarre and the title was bizarre. They just didn't understand it, you know, they, they, the direction. They didn't know what to do with it, you know. They're a marketing firm. You know, how do you market Beach Boys with that sounds? Well, we'll send you down to the San Diego Zoo, and we'll photograph you with a bunch of damn goats. I mean, what's that all about? That was the biggest miscarriage of justice of all. <laughs> In an interview with David Leaf, Brian credits Carl with naming the album. But according to Mike Love, it was he who suggested the title Pet Sounds. He says, We were in the studio at Western one day, and from the hallway I could hear the passing train and barking dog that ended the album. I knew Brian hadn't decided on a title yet, and after hearing those sounds, I said, Why don't we call it Pet Sounds? <clears throat> I've also heard that it was named for Phil Spector's initials, or because Mike was calling Brian dog ears because he could only hear things that dogs could hear, stuff like that. There's so many different stories, and Brian just takes the political answer and says, it's all these things mixed together. I think it probably was Mike, because he seems to have a pretty good memory. Um, but it's so hard to tell. Like, everybody has different stories. Um, Al thought the name was slang for making out, like heavy petting, you know? Like, he thought it was like songs for making out. Pet sounds. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. And then... Capitol's working title for the album was Our Freaky Friends. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I know, but I love it. Our Freaky Friends. That's why they, they wanted them to go to the <clears throat> the zoo. Because they were like, yeah, the, the pets, the, the, the zoo animals are going to be your freaky friends. It's like, what on earth? So I have, a, I have a hypothesis then. They probably were calling it Our Freaky Friends and then they were like, we can't we can't 
We can't do this. Oh, the album has dogs on it. Oh, we'll just call it Pet Sounds. And hey, look, we're at the zoo on the cover. Why yeah. not? Yeah, I, I mean, have a feeling something like that probably went down. Yeah, it's so hard to tell. Like I, I did a lot of research on it, and still, like it's hard to find a straight answer. Even from, you know, individuals, they all have different um, stories depending on when they were asked. Anyway, it is what it is. Mike says Paul McCartney and I spoke about the album. In the spring of 1968, when we were in India together, in one conversation, he mentioned that we ought to take more care with our album covers. Paul was the mastermind between the Sgt. Pepper album and the cover, which was detailed and brilliant. Ours was a photo taken at the San Diego Zoo that indicated how comprehensively Paul thought of everything. We didn't think about the packaging. We were never marketed thoughtfully like the Beatles. That was partly on our own fault, but not thinking about it as they did. I told Paul that we were more concerned with what was inside the album cover. Um, did you know that Mike Love went to India <laughs> with the Beatles? I did. I've heard about that. <laughs> uh, so when the album was I finished... Think, you know, I even think that he, like, wrote a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you know that Mike Love wrote songs for the Beatles in India? Yeah. Back in the back in the USSR, in the USA. Man. Surf- I'm surprised he didn't take them to court for that one. Um, When the album was finished, lyricist Tony Asher went back to his day job at Carson Roberts, and he considers working on this collection of songs one of the true highlights of his life. And um, he said it was a dreamlike experience. So crazy. Like, he was ripped out of this kind of corporate world as an advertisement jingle writer and then just wrote this incredible, like thoughtful, provoking piece of music and just was kind of whisked back to, uh, to, to Kansas, so to speak, you know, back to his normal life. It's kind of crazy. It's like Harry Potter. But anyway, he said, uh, the first time I heard the whole album put together was during an evening at Brian's house. He had some proofs of the pictures they'd done at the zoo, and he told me they were thinking of calling the record Pet Sounds. I thought it was a goofy name for an album. I thought it trivialized what we had accomplished. On the other hand, I was aware that many of Brian's off-the-walls ideas had turned out to be brilliant. The album was received really well in the UK, thanks in part to their new publicist, Derek Taylor. After the album was mixed, Bruce was off to England. I took two copies of Pet Sounds with me. With the sole intention of promoting the album and playing it to people for the first time. You know, and Derek Taylor was our publicist and he just, uh, he just set up about 25 interviews for me. I got to meet him at the Wardoff Hotel. Journalists came over. I think that's probably how I met Keith Altham. And one of his um, people came and said, oh, Lennon and McCartney are in your in your room. They want to hear the album. Can you go up and play it to them? I played them the album, and they heard it two times, and they were delightful. And he played it to them twice, and they loved it. It went to number one in England, and they were named the most popular group of 1966 in um, New Musical Express, which uh, they beat out the Beatles in their home turf. They were the first band to do it since the Beatles came out. So that's pretty incredible. And... Um, yeah, that's a thing, you know, that is kind of big in the Beach Boys history. And it's always a big, you know, PR line. Hey, you know, they beat the Beatles. Yeah. And they really did. So, I mean, like, it's 
in in every way. They were number one in England, and they were voted the the most popular band. Pretty amazing. I mean, not only did they kind of withstand the British invasion um, with "I Get Around" and "Help Me Rhonda," but they they took it to the Beatles' home court and kind of wiped the floor with them, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, there's a. I wanted to talk about a couple of misconceptions about this record that I noticed while we were doing this. But um, number one is that as you know, as we've seen in like all these documentaries and all these different interviews and stuff with Carol Kay, it's you just kind of get the impression that she played bass on this entire record, but she only played bass on seven tracks. Um, she did play guitar on a few others but she never talks about that it's always just like i played bass on pet sounds and everybody's like yeah what a great carol k bass part but half the time it's lyle ritz or you know um ray pullman the whole story about mike saying don't with the formula that may or may not have actually happened and the notion that he hated the album just wasn't true he was probably hurt because he wasn't as involved with it as he had been and and Brian had a new collaborator, but he thought it was a fantastic album. And he was probably right to question the direction of the band because being the more business-minded one, he knew that it wasn't uh, what people were expecting and it was a little too different and new. And he was right. I mean, especially in America, but, um, you know, it, it, we'll get back into that discussion as well. But, um, you know, I mean, since, since it came out, like obviously people have really come around to it, but, at the time, it was mostly overlooked, and um, it wasn't until later that year that the Beach Boys would really get back on top in America. Um, despite the uh, the conceived failure of the album in the U.S., it was it was the only Beach Boys LP to feature four top forty hits. So, Sloop John B, Caroline No, Wouldn't It Be Nice, and God Only Knows were all top forty hits. Yeah, and you know it's. You know, the thing about Pet Sounds is, I think I've said this a bunch on our show here. I mean, it's kind of the thing that going forward is going to be the number one thing people remember the Beach Boys by. It's one of the only things you still hear those tracks from this in movies and commercials and television. I can tell you right now that I've heard God Only Knows, Wouldn't It Be Nice, and Sloop John B. Um, far more in pop culture than I've heard I get around or anything else from the earlier era in the last 10 years. You know, growing up in the in the 80s and the early 90s, you know, you heard all the early stuff a lot more because that was more identifiable to that generation at the time. But I think Pet Sounds has kind of overtaken that in the cultural remembrance of the Beach Boys music, you know? Yeah, you're right. Um, it's hard for us because we kind of... Um we kind of became fans when Pet Sounds was kind of, you know, revered as a masterpiece. But, um, yeah, for a long time, it really was was overlooked, I think. Um, since its original release, it was released a ton more time. So um, it was released as a, <laughs> as a double album with Carl and the Passions in 1972, which is crazy. And I've seen people talk about this and I've seen advertisements for it. And there's like little radio ads for it. And it's such a strange pairing. Like here's Carl and the passions and pet sounds. It's like two completely different 
albums. It's been 10 years since the Beach Boys first changed the course of rock. Now, a specially priced two-record set. Pet Sounds and Carl and the Passions, so tough, marks the beginning of a new era for the Beach Boys. They also released it in 1974 with a different cover. And then Capitol regained rights and released it on vinyl again in 1980. Uh, it was released in Japan on CD for the first time in 1986, and then in the U.S. in 1990. And then several box sets have come out since then, along with you know multiple books and then all the tours that have been based around it, and then the DVDs and tribute albums and remixes and podcasts and on and on and on. And um, here we are today, and there's still more Pet Sound stuff coming out. And I'm sure that this new Brian Wilson documentary, they're going to talk a lot about Pet Sounds, of course. But um, it is, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, we still only scratch the surface. It's such a deep, resonating piece of work. This album is just a no brainer, you know, top of the mountain, 10 out of 10, absolute greatest achievement in pop music. And somehow, Brian found a way to top it that same year. Um, and we'll get to that, of course. But, man, it's kind of bittersweet moving on from Pet Sounds. And it's been so much fun talking about it and putting so much work into it and hearing all you guys' stories and stuff. Um, I love this quote from Brian in his recent autobiography that really sums it up. He says, I love the whole Pet Sounds record. I got a full vision out of it. In the studio. After that, I said to myself, I had completed the greatest album I will ever produce. I knew it. I thought it was one of the greatest albums ever done. It was a spiritual record. When I was making it, I looked around at the musicians and the singers and I could see their halos. That feeling stayed on the finished album. I wanted to grow musically, to expand our horizons and do something that people would love. And I did it. I can tell you this. There's a thing on one of the Brian Wilson documentaries uh, about pet sounds, I think it's the one from the the when they put out the box set, and he opens the documentary up by saying, "The way to listen to pet sounds is with headphones in the dark." And so, I would just like to say that it's a that's a thing you should do. <laughs> I know this is kind of a funny way to close this out, but um, I think if you can really focus and listen to this whole record as a whole. Just be in the zone, turn the lights off, put your headphones on, listen on your phone or on your record player or however you've got it, and listen to this complete thought and, and sit there and think that one guy, one brilliant, brilliant guy, with the help of his brothers and his cousins and his friends and a, and a couple of lyricists, but one guy put this vision together. When you sit and think about that and you think about how it's just as beautiful as any piece of art or look at a beautiful sunset look at the ocean look at all these beautiful things out there in creation and this is one of those things and think that it came from one guy that's why this record is so brilliant that's why it's so important Nicely done. And this album is basically um, immune from hyperbole. It's so great. I mean, we could talk about it forever and keep talking about what we could try and compare it to, but 
it's great, man. It's why we do what we do. It's why you guys are listening. It's this um, brilliant pinnacle of a brilliant man's life. And while it didn't have the initial success that Brian wanted, it inspired him to go back to work on a song that remained unfinished from the sessions. So that's where we're going to pick up at the start of season three with good vibrations. But next, I still still can't can't believe believe it's not the Beach Beach Boys. Boys coming in two weeks. Hope you guys are pumped because everybody's been asking me about it. So we're going to do they that. Just can't, they just can't get enough of those clone records. Man, I can't either, but I wanted to hold off as long as possible. But um, we're going to have some good stuff. we got to compile our list, and um, I'm sure you guys will dig it. But um, I want to give some shout-outs. I want to shout-out to Zach Jones for stopping by. I want to shout-out to Jeffrey Foskett for being the dude. And I want to shout-out... Um, Kathy Johnson, who sent me an awesome 1970s Beach Boys poster. Right. Uh, shout out to uh, George Faulkner, who sent me those awesome uh, Mary Wilson singles. And um, shout out to Jason for, for, for being here and going on this journey with me. You got any shout outs? I've got a shout out to uh, my friend in Los Angeles, Fernando, because he took me... And I think a few of us, I don't know if you were there or not, Wyatt, but he took a couple of, I think it was me and Paul. He took us by the studio where a majority of Pet Sounds was done, and we got to walk in there. And that was awesome. So there's my shout-out. Oh, yeah. Nice. Was that East-West Studios? Is that what it is now? that's right. Yeah, yeah, East-West Studios. Um, Yeah, we'll see you guys soon. Um, Send us an email, salonpodcast at gmail.com. You can... Uh, leave a voicemail at 615-606-3887. Our music is done by Will C. Um, check us out on Facebook, on our um, Facebook group, Sail On, the Beach Boys Appreciation Group. All right, well, until next time, hang on to your egos. Sail On, sailors. got any shout outs
I think I just want to shout out everyone who has not bought a copy of Looking Back with Love. Um, you need to go <laughs> Here do we that. go. Uh, <laughs> you can't you can't buy a copy of that. That's like what are you gonna do? I tell you what, I saw it at a record store not too long ago for two dollars. Yeah, but you know what, Mike Love's not getting any of that. He needs to re-release this record, remastered. Let's do okay, it, so, Mike. So there's my shout out. So hey, Mike. <laughs> I've got a little record label, and we can do reissues, and we can press vinyl. Call me. Wyatt will give you the phone number. Call me, and uh, we'll reissue <laughs> Looking Back With Love, uh, Ultra Millennium 2020 edition. Yeah. Um, maybe and David, we'll make the vinyl green like money. We could, do it, uh, we could do a joint um, release um, by way of... Um, Endless Summer Quarterly, which shout out I'm to telling David you, it, shout out to David Beard. If we could get everybody who subscribes to Endless Summer Quarterly to buy some Looking Back with Love, I think we'd all be happy. I think so. I think we could get a lot of people to buy Looking at Back with Love if it was reissued on vinyl. Um, well, I'm ready. I'm ready, Mike Love. I can't calling believe, you out. I can't believe this is how we're going to end the Pet Sounds episodes. Shout out to uh, Quentin Tarantino. I just watched. Um, once upon a time in Hollywood, it was pretty good. I didn't love it. I liked it. Um, I loved it. Yeah, and I, I know loved you did. all the Raiders songs. I'm gonna watch it again eventually, but um, yeah, I'm not a huge Tarantino fan. Just, just you know, throw that out there. I like his movie, movies. Nothing wrong with them, but they don't touch me. You know what I mean? Um, I'm more of like a Woody, Woody Allen. But um, he likes he he touches people. I love people. them both. Um, all right, we're getting way off topic here. We love Pet Sounds. Shout out to Brian Wilson and um, shout out to Tony Asher. We'd love to talk to you someday, Tony. I think he'd be a great guest for the show. But one day. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hurt less feelings that way, all right?